Rondo's podcast with your hostess with the mostest, Ron Rapitalo on the mic. And this episode is my most deeply personal one yet because I have the personal sage for my book, Leverage the People, Love and Care About You Personally, Professionally Building a Circle of Champions. Brilliant literacy leader and my partner, Shanita Rapitalo. We probably need to do our own podcast and many other things outside of uh, just hearing her story and her brilliance. And I'm really excited to have everybody hear her story. So unlike me, she's a introverted. And so um, to have her be a guest on my podcast is a real treat. So other folks get to hear her brilliance. So check her out. And Leverage Publishing Group, we're looking to ghostwrite, publish first-time authors. Check us out at leveragepublishinggroup.com. Peace. Ronderings Podcast Universe. I have to say this is the episode that hits home because my partner, my soul, my beautiful wife, the brilliant national literacy expert, mother of all things in our family, rock of our household, friend, brilliant leader, Shanita Rapitalo on the mic. What's up, Shanita? It's so weird to call you Shanita. I cannot obviously call you our like nicknames that we share as husband and wife because that would be really weird. It was. And, you know, we're trying to be professional a little, but not really. A, li- a little bit, but not really. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, no drink champs this episode, but I'm just saying it is. Um, I feel like uh, it's drink champs, though, with uh-huh. like the libations. <laughs> I mean, look, anything that gets us to be in the space to be able to, uh, as we like to say, conversate. Um, is that an actual verb? I forget. Nope. Um, well, darn. You know what? It is. If we say it's a word, it's it's part of yeah. dialect. It's part of the way, the way we speak. Yeah. So yeah, it is a word. Yeah, I had to fight hard for that six hundred of my SAT verbal. That was oh did not come naturally to me. Okay. I remember, what? I, what's wrong? Remember my scores. Oh, my Lord. score is not in, indicative. Like my five seventy two <laughs> to get into Stuyvesant <laughs> High School with the bottom line score B5 is not indicative of my genius. Let's be clear. Wait, your SAT scores don't count. They're, you don't use that to get into high school. Google. No, I'm remembering my SHSAT score. These are the things that like my head remembers. Okay. I might even remember my overall GPA from high school and college, but that's besides the point. Don't, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, this episode is about my insecurities. If this is oh. anything like our, our conversations or our like pillow talk, it is going to be quite the, the rant, let me tell you. I mean, Rondering's fan, there just may be a, a, a Shanron, you know, uh, podcast coming up with the two of us spilling tea. But <laughs> no. that is not this podcast, fam. No. So, 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 so. Shanita, why don't we start out with your story? What's your story? Uh, that's such a hard question. I don't share a lot. You know this about, I share my work and I'm so proud of that. I don't share a lot of myself. And so. You're the stereotypical INTJ. I am. And I'm, I'm the opposite ESFP. Let's just be clear. Myers-Briggs fans. <laughs> yes. <just saying. laughs> Very clear. So I will share my work. I will share plans for the future. I will share things that I'm passionate about in education or or elsewise, my cooking, whatever. But sharing like my story has been, it's been interesting because it's not over, right? Like there's still so much of my story to be completed, but 
a little bit about my story. I always go back to being born and raised in Baltimore City. I'm a daughter of Be Baltimore. more Charm City. Charm City, indeed. Interestingly enough, I was in a marching band called Charm City Challengers. If anyone knows anything about Baltimore and marching band culture, we have neighborhood marching bands that aren't really affiliated with any schools or anything. It's just like a way to keep kids occupied. And it was one of the most fulfilling experiences I've had probably, you know, in my growing up, my childhood. But Mm. I digress. Um, (laughs) My... (laughs) You know, I was raised by my grandparents. My parents were young when they had me, very young. Um, And so I was raised by my grandparents and they both played integral roles in my life, right? My grandmother instilled in me a sense of pride. She also instilled in me the drive to keep pushing forward no matter what. My grandfather instilled in me a sense of adventure and wanting to learn about new things to kind of be unassuming, but not really. And what I mean by that is my grandfather is like literally a jack of all trade and a master of all of them. Right. So he, <laughs> if you need to get your car fixed, he can put in a new alternator. If you, if you need to rewire your kitchen so that your lights, he knows how to do that. He randomly speaks French. So like, there's so many things. Hashtag that- black genius, right? Hashtag Black Genius. Yep. And um, both of them always taught me that if you want to do anything, you have to have a good education and a plan, right? Because I think having an education is one thing, but having a plan, (laughs) you have have to have both. And so I think throughout my life, being educated and being serious about my education, planning for my future an opportunity played a role in in a lot of my success, right? Like went to city schools. They weren't great in my K through eight experience. Um, but it took a vice principal named Miss Dixon, who has passed mm, away. Miss Dixon. Um, yeah. In your circle of champions from a young age, right? She she was because I used to cut up in middle school. I did. I wasn't the I didn't cut up to the point where I was fighting or doing anything like that, but you know, sometimes my clothes were not appropriate for school and I would change them on my way there. And, you know, I she would pull me into her office and make me wear those gross sweatpants <laughs> because my skirt was too short. And there was one conversation we had where she's like, what high school are you going to? I was like, I don't know. I hadn't thought about it. And she's like, someone as smart as you should go to Western. And I had not even thought about that. And so she set up a high school tour for a group of us. In that high school tour, we went to City, Poly, and Western, right? There, mm. We didn't, I think we went to Marlborough as well, maybe even Dunbar, Dunbar, but like, I don't remember any other schools, high schools we went to, but I remember Western very clear. And I knew that was the place for me. And there was this, they call it, we frame it as quiet dignity. Um, And it just eluded everything that I thought that a woman should be, an educated woman should be. And I was like, I want to go to this school. And so, you know, my test grades were good. My grades were were stellar and I applied and I got in. And that set the trajectory for my entire life. Mm. Um, It was the first time I was challenged academically. 
it was the first time that I had real friendships and understood what those were. Mm. It was the first time that I saw people who looked like me really pushing us and making an impact. And I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It was so challenging my first year. It was the first year that I actually got anything below like a 90% in anything. And <laughs> Ooh, perish the thought. No, nah, nah, I hear you. I struggle. We didn't have a computer at one time and I had to type all of my papers at work. I didn't know that people type papers and turn them in. I had no clue. No one in my middle school were typing papers. They were just happy to get anything we produced. And so yeah. mm-hmm. Western really, when I got to college after Western, uh, I went to Trinity College in DC. I felt like this was easy. You know, like, yeah, there were some challenges. I was a biology major and a chemistry minor. I could have been a math minor as well but I did not take the statistic classes. Look at that. We have that in common. Yep. We could have been a math mi- Well, I was a math minor. I was not. I was a chem mm-hmm. minor though. Oh boy. But I felt like the mindset you need to be able to do the work and be diligent in the work, I got that from Western. So it made college, my college academics a lot easier than I saw with some other folks. So very thankful for that experience. I am... Um, like I said, I was a science major. I hadn't thought about what I wanted to do with my life after college. The initial response was be a doctor. My MCAT score sucked. <laughs> so I had to take it twice. And the second time I, I I got a well enough score to be able to get into a few schools, but it wasn't Cornell. I wanted to go to Cornell. Like that was my dream medical school, Cornell. I did not get into Cornell and I was heartbroken. Cornell's lost. It is their loss. So I said to myself, I used to tutor like every dork on campus, right? Um, I tutored calculus, Spanish, and all the science classes. So I was a science major. And there was this like poster or something or pamphlets that were for Teach for America. And I was like, I don't know what this is. And so I was like, maybe I should apply. Like I'll teach for a couple of years just to take some time off from applying to medical school. And then, you know, during the summer, I can take some postdoc classes to like keep myself fresh with with what's going on in science. I applied for Teacher America. I only put one down for my choice, <laughs> which is unheard wow. of. I mean, usually you, they tell you to draw. Yeah, they tell you to pick three. I literally put DC because I'd already had an apartment. I did not want to leave that. I didn't want to be far away from my family. And so I, I was like, if I get it, I get it. I, I interviewed and I did well enough for to be accepted into their program. And so um, I didn't realize how much I would love teaching. And I, I didn't understand what an impact I had being a young Black woman in a classroom. I I had no idea of what impact that would have on my students, on the community around me. I just, I was just doing as I was guided to do, which was like a gut choice, right? It was, this wasn't something that was like, oh, like I want to be a teacher. It was just like, you know what? Yeah, I'll do this to fill in some time. But um, I love teaching. I, I remember my first day I taught second grade, my first day looking at 19, seven-year-olds. And I was like, these, my, what I do will have 
an impact on them for the rest of their lives. So I need to choose wise. Mm. I was 20 years old. Wow. And I had a lot to learn. A lot. Yeah. <laughs> like I remember when um the we first went to class and I put on my board on my like um on my post on the wall, I put um Shanita, Shanita McKay. And I said, Yeah, the kids can call me Shanita. And I remember my principal, his name was Anthony Jas- Jackson. He said, no, they will call you Miss McKay because that's the proper thing to do. And I was just so clueless into what professionalism was even, right? Like I had never worked with children. I literally just popped out of a lab. I did four weeks of institute where we taught summer school, but we taught it in teams. So like it was very much small group all the time. I didn't have my own class. So I was ill-prepared, but you know what? Like I, I learned so much. I had a, an amazing mentor, Keisha Dunstan, who was a new teacher herself, but just extremely bright, just a phenomenal person. And I learned so much from her and one of my other co-teachers, Dion Brown, who is still in education, recently got her doctor from NYU. And so like this was- um, Word to NYU and Dion, Dr. Dion Brown. Yes, this was a good, just a good feel. And it, it groomed me to be a really good teacher. In practice, I still needed work. I didn't feel like I became a real teacher until like my fifth year of teaching. <laughs> this is like when I got my master's and I was like, this is how you teach children to read. So. Um, I'm going to fast forward a little bit through my story and talk about grad school. Started at American, and then I decided to move to New York in the middle of that. And so I finished up my master's in New York at Fordham. And I was accepted into a scholarship program where the focus was teaching children how to read. It was called the Hello Friends Foundation, but it was ultimately created for Ennis Cosby, who was a teacher at Fordham, who had dyslexia himself, and the Cosby family paid for full full payment for teachers who wanted to just get their master's degree in curriculum and teaching, but focus on reading difficulties. And it was, um, or and or literacy. And it was such an eye-opening experience. And I wish that I had learned that my first few years of teaching and not after teaching for five years. Um, or four years rather. So, and I just, I just became a lover of learning. Like the day that I stepped foot into the classroom 20 years ago, I'm currently co-owner of the Rapitalo group. Um, Yeah, we, we have lots of different venues and avenues where we reach people, but it's ultimately about helping educators and people be their best selves. Um, My focus is on creating literacy systems and structures uh, professional development experiences that will move academic results. And it's been a joy for the past four years, been working it out. So um, yeah. I think I can, I, you know, that's, a, I guess it's a little of my story. It's not like an unknown story, but that's, that's a little bit about me. Yeah. Somewhere along the line, I, uh, I met a boy and got married and had two kids. <laughs> oh, you met your uh, Philippine prince, just like in uh, Cinderella. Oh, no. You met. <laughs> That's not the story. <laughs> yeah, I met a Philippine prince who sent me an email asking me for money. <laughs> wow! Wow! 
sending you an email and message on match.com several times. There it goes. There. Yes, yes, yes. That was quite the, quite the experience. Oh, look, our cat wants to get in. Well, let me, let me work backwards from the last thing you said, Chinita. I know that when you and I had talked, going into solopreneurship, entrepreneurship wasn't where you thought you would end up. And talk to the audience, because as you and I have talked about, there's not a lot of black female entrepreneurs that you and I know about. Like, I think the circle that we know about tend to be friends and family of our teacher American mother at circles, right? So talk to me about that journey to entrepreneurship and what you've learned thus far and some of the kind of, you know, lessons learned, struggles you've had. Yeah. Coming into entrepreneurship was by, obviously wasn't by choice. It was, I did not have a great experience at a nonprofit I was working at and I was broken. And when I say broken, I mean, I was, I was, my confidence was shattered. Emotionally, I was in shambles and I had never experienced a place where there's subtle racism, right? That I think we all experience to some degree. And I let those things roll off my back because that's more about them than it is. It has nothing to do with me, actually. It's all about those people with those perceptions. But um, I never experienced it directly and like in my face. And it broke me to be honest. And so I needed some time off. And around that time as well, I I realized that we were pregnant with our second child. And so I had to make a choice whether I go into another workplace broken, right? It's kind of like when you go into a relationship and you haven't fully healed, right? Do I want to do that? Do I want to go into another workspace Mm. with these unresolved issues with this brokenness and while I'm pregnant? (laughs) Or do I want to take some time and heal, figure out my next move? And to be honest, going back into the workplace after having a baby was the hard, one of the hardest things I had to do. And so the idea of not having to do that after my pregnancy was probably just an incentive enough. But I also know that I needed to heal and I had to heal through therapy. I had to heal through like self-talk positive self-talk, like it is, you are talented, you are excellent, you have all this experience under your belt, this is not about you. And that took a full year. Interestingly enough, that place also asked me to come back to consult with them, which is very interesting. So it it was just a, um, that experience pushed me into entrepreneurship, even though I Mm. did not, I never foresaw that, like that really was not on my bingo card. And so once I said, you know what, I'm going to talk to my husband. He's pretty wise about these things. Who is, I I want to meet this guy. He sounds like he's someone I should meet. (laughs) I'm like, what should I do? And you said, rely on the network that you've created. I have a network that I have created. We are one. So like, that's your network as well. And then we'll, Mm. we'll see what goes from there. And, um, Honestly, it was the best choice that I made because not mm. knowing what 2020 was going to bring, right? Literally. I started, uh, <laughs> it, it was, 2020 was probably the one of the hardest years that I've, I've had to face. Um, mm. It was having a, having my daughter and then five days later losing my dad and then having to bury him in the midst of a pandemic. That was That was rough. And it's interesting because 
that year, I worked really hard at getting partnerships and, and, and making connections and networking and just reaching out to folks. And it's so interesting, like the, the work that I got not only was enough to like sustain the type of life we wanted to live, but it was actually like beneficial in terms of what income I bought in. Like, oh, I can actually make money <laughs> doing this. I can actually make money for my brain work. Who knew, right? I can actually get paid my worth. And so, you know, and it's with any business, it is clunky. It is me still, us rather, still trying to figure out, even us figuring out how we're merging this thing, right? Because my areas of expertise are different from your areas of expertise, but we both own this. And so like it is, it is, I feel, like I said, while entrepreneurship wasn't something that I had envisioned for myself at all, ever, it was something I was kind of forced into. I'm glad I was forced here. And, you know, sometimes, you know, tell God your plan and he'll laugh. Because that, like I said, it wasn't on my bingo card. It just, I had no clue that this was where I would be. And it feels good to be in this space, to say like, yes, I'm a business owner. I've been a business owner for the past four years. I have made my own income. I've worked with partners. And I think the biggest key from this is I only take work that I believe in. That Mm. is like, that is mind blowing. Because I know right. I worked at other places. I could not get with the practices that they were doing, but I needed that check. <laughs> so it was like, listen, I'm going to let y'all do what y'all do. I'm going to close my door and teach my kids how I know the right way to do. Right. Like, right. Even if I didn't believe like what the, the, everyone else stood for, I knew what I stood for. And that is, I had to push against the grain. That is hard. Yeah. But in this space, this point in my life, taking things that I believe in. And that feels so good. Yeah. yeah. I just thought about this, Shanita, that in both of our- It feels weird you calling me Shanita. I know. It's like this, <laughs> this is a formal interview. I can't call it. It would be weird people like, are they recording a private conversation on this podcast? That's facts, facts, facts. It's facts, facts. Hashtag facts. But thought about how our entrepreneurial journeys have been healing for both of us. And I would say for a lot of people that I know who look like us, the pathway to entrepreneurship has oftentimes come from, for lack of a better term, F you, whoever that is, whatever org that is, or F you to the circumstances, I'm going to go do my own thing. And how much we learn through that. Look, and I would say that entrepreneurship is not for everybody. And the thing that I I say over and over again, because I think I've lived it, you've lived it, I'm living it part two right now, is how much entrepreneurship is just the most liberating thing. But it's like doing this little trust fall from the top of the earth. It's a, you not, you've heard me say this to you. And I, I like, literally, I say it's scary and exhilarating. I'm literally doing this trust fall from the top of earth. I'm like, I'm going to get caught and I'm going to get caught. And similar to what you said, right? What the advice I gave you four years ago is I'm leveraging the people love and care about me personally, professionally. That's why I believe in the trust fall. I think without that, what I've always advised folks and on the entrepreneur, if you don't have people have your back, talent only gets you so far. Talent only gets you so far in the, the, the job journey and finding the next job. And I know this from like my practice, you've seen it with folks. And so entrepreneurship is healing is something that seems to be a a real thing for many of us. Yeah, it's a real thing. And it is a scary thing. 
Yeah. Because you're constantly like trying to get partners. Like you're constantly working. Like you're thinking you have one partnership and you're thinking like, okay, so for next year, I need to Mm -hmm. be able to gather this amount of clients to make this amount of money. And, you know, right now the Raptalo group is in a restructuring mode, right? Like Mm -hmm. we are restructuring as we are expanding. And I think that part of this entrepreneurial work, it is not for the faint of heart (laughs) at all, but it is exhilarating. And it's, you know, like there are things we get to do as parents, even to our kids that I would never been able to do if I would have stayed in a nine to five, right? Like, oh, you want to go to work with your kid day at school? Great. We get to drop our kids off and pick them up every day, right? We get to go on field trips if we need it. It's just, we're present for them, you know? And we get to take a spa afternoon. We, I mean, yes, shout out to Soja. We get to, right. we get to say, or like, you go, know what? We're going to go play tennis for a couple of hours during the day, right? Yeah, absolutely. Mm. Get to right? go to the gym more. I mean, more often than I definitely have done in the past, right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it is, you get control over your life, but it is a hustle. It's a grind. Yeah. So what I want to do, Shanita, is call out an entrepreneur from our lives. This is going to sound like, you know, one of those episodes like, let's go back in the rewind machine. Your grandmother. Your grandmother was an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Had her own daycare facility inside her home for, what was it, 30 years? 30 years or maybe 35. 30. Yeah. Talk to me about grandma. A grandma who also was like me, just not like her business out in the street, just FYI. Um, <laughs> so I a little bit. Very let, careful. We might need to re- relook at what we say here. Like, I'm going to be very me. careful about what I say about my Grammy because she does not play those games. <laughs> no, grandma don't play. I don't need grandma not making my sweet potato pie for the holidays. <laughs> I an episode you said that. She's like, Right. Oh yeah, they ran out of sweet potato in Baltimore. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> there's a sweet potato shortage. Oh, so- oh no! Fun fact: <laughs> gets a, his own personal baked sweet potato pie from my grandmother every single Thanksgiving or Christmas, whichever holiday. I'm her favorite, day. like. Freaking son-in-law. Come on now. Let's and you're just not be even real. a son-in-law. You will be a grandson, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> Parking language here. <laughs> um, in any case, my grandma, she moved to Maryland when she was 16 or 17 years old to hmm. help her dad run a tailoring business. My um, great-grandfather was a army vet. He um, graduated from University of Alabama and mm, he opened out Alabama. Yeah, right. Like, talk about legacy. Mm-hmm. He opened his own tailoring business in Baltimore, where he um, owned and worked and operated it for many years. Um, mm. And my grandma came up here to run the shop with him, be with him. And two years later, he passed. So she only got to spend two years with him when she moved up here. Mm. And so during that time period, she went to beauty school to be a beautician. Um, And she did that for a while. And then she was married to my grandpa and she became a mom of five. It's interesting, too, because like she... She could have easily just settled into being a a housewife and been okay with that. My grandpa was always going to provide. 
but she decided that she wanted to run her own business. And so she opened up her daycare, Juanita's daycare. And I swear, I, I think every kid on that block, if you lived in Emerson Village, there is an 85 to 90% chance that my grandma took care of you in some kind of way. Even if it was when wow. we would have cookouts, giving food to kids that like come up. Cause like we would have cookouts in the backyard and you know, neighborhood folks, they smell that grill. They're like, oh, hey, hey, neighbor. The smell of grilled food <laughs> across the world is like bringing oh, Homer Simpson together. to come and crash your barbecue. Come okay. on now. I mean, and then, you know, oh yeah, I, that's, I think that's Q's boy. Like, come on up here and get some food. And she would never say no right. to giving people food. My uncle Clyde used to call her B-Gaddy, who B-Gaddy, you know, God rest her soul, was like one of the pioneers in Baltimore that fed people, right? Like, took uh, care of the homeless, okay. made sure that people were fed, had mm. just a wealth of things and programs within the community. Like, B-Gaddy was a true gem. In, in Baltimore City, and my uncle used to call her, you know, Bee Gaddy, <laughs> because she was, she would do that. She would, if you were hungry, you were going to get fed. Oh, I heard the Baltimore accent come out. You said hungry, like Han? Yeah, well, listen, uh, it comes out. You, you saw my grassy, the Baltimorean is, is coming <laughs> out this whole entire episode. I don't want to just equate that to us being, you know, quasi-drink champs right now. <laughs> quasi-drink champs. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's interesting too because like the kids that come, they just didn't get fed. They got fed physically because she always cooked. She cooked them three meals a day and like good food, right. not like I don't know what bad food would be because it didn't come from my grandma's house. I couldn't even. Grandma try. can cook. Shout out to that potato salad she makes. Just everything she makes, it's the love that she puts in it. That's mm. what it is. Like it's the love, Loving and food. it's also she uses fresh produce. You know, she grew up growing her own fruits and vegetables and things. So it's like Mm. for her to not have fresh fruits and vegetables, she's like, I don't know what this life is. So like, you know, getting Mm. fresh produce and things like that. And it wasn't just that they were fed, like physically fed. They were fed emotionally. Right. Like she gave those babies love and, Mm. and, and attention. If they came to the house not clean, she would make sure they had a bath and a pair of clean clothes. When she, when they left, she would go, and I would go to the thrift store with her. So we would go to the thrift store probably like once or twice a month. Okay. And we would buy like toys and just baby clothes and kids clothes. And I'm like, grandma, why are you buying like kids clothes? I can see why she's buying the toys because kids need things to play. But I'm like, why are you buying clothes? And she's like, well, some kids that come to me don't have. They don't have the clothes. They don't have extra underwear or things like that. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna get those for them. And so we would go to the thrift store, and and we would pick mm. up things because it was it was what we could afford. But she knew that there were people that couldn't even afford that, and so she's like, mm. nope, like you're not gonna come to my house and leave my house like you came. You're gonna leave better. And um, yeah. you know, they also were taken care of academically, right? Like my grandma was a teacher. She like taught us all, all those nursery songs and things that I remember are from my grandma's house and from watching mm. Sesame Street, right? Like she taught Shout them. Shout out to Sesame Street. My goodness. Yeah, she taught them songs. She mm. read books to them. All the kids knew their colors and their letters and their numbers. So it wasn't just a space where she you bought your kids and she just watched them and gave them lunch. 
Like they came and they were fed emotionally, academically, physically, spiritually. They were they were fed. And and that's the legacy that I grew up watching. That's my grandma. So in talking about grandma, and you mentioned that she was a teacher. What did you observe from grandma those years you saw her running her daycare center that influenced the way you started teaching and what you do today, especially around brag about you for a second, being a national literacy expert, being an incredible facilitator, you know, coach, professional developer, fill in the blank. You um you help schools and educators and leaders run their schools better, especially with a deep, deep focus on equity, ensuring that all kids can do amazing things. So how did grandma influence you there? There is this resilience, I guess, and quiet dignity about my grandma that I absolutely Mm. adore and love. Mm. She's not boastful in what she does because it comes from her heart. And I think I, 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 I've definitely internalized that as one of my traits as well, right? Because oh no, doubt that's that's so you. That's like a that's in the cultural DNA. It really is. Even in talking about myself, like I can rattle off a bunch of awards and degrees in my experience as a doctoral student. I can. I think those things are important to building me to where I am, but it's not what I lead with, right? And so Mm -hmm. there was just really human side of my grandma Mm. that. Like I said, she fed people, she took care of people, and she was a caretaker, but she also allowed you to be. And Mm. that's what I wanted for my kids, my students, my own Mm. children too. But when I became a teacher, I wanted my kids to be. Like, I didn't want them to feel like they needed to change who they are. I didn't want them to ever feel ashamed of who they are. But I also wanted them to be deep thinkers critical thinkers and learners, right? Like I, you can't opt out. Like we're going to learn. (laughs) You can get these standards whether you want it or not. We're going to learn in this class, but you also get to be yourself. You get to be who you are. You get to come as you are. And I'm not going to judge you for that. And I saw her do that with her, her kids, right? Her daycare kids is no matter how you showed up at that door, how you were going to leave was going to be better than how you showed up. And so no matter how Mm. my kids, no matter how my students showed up at my door, they were going to leave 10 times better, better than where they were. Right. Mm. Better being maybe they're in a better mood, better being that they learn something new, that they could connect and and, and do great things in the world better and that they feel good about themselves. Right. Mm. And I built a community of learners in a community, like a family, you know what I mean? Like, even when I was, um, when I moved to New York and I taught in the Bronx, shout out to BX. That was one of my best teaching experiences. But even in teaching in the Bronx, I taught small groups. I had a huge caseload. I think my largest caseload was like 70 something students, but I taught them in wow. small groups. Even then we were family, right? If you were working with someone in a small group, there was no judgment. I have fourth graders that were read it at a first grade level and third graders that could not read at all. And there was no judgment within that group, right? Because that's not what we do here. We're here to learn. Who cares what you don't know? We're going to learn something new and you will know. And so like, just uh, like I said, allowing them to be 
not changing them in any kind of way and understanding that like how you come is how I will receive you. That lack, that, that no judgment zone of, of kids and their families too. So I think part of the work too, that it could have been very easy for my grandmother to judge the families that came to her, right? Especially for kids who came and they had like dirty clothes or they didn't have enough to eat. It could have been very easy for her to judge them, right? Hmm. She never judged them. She never turned her back on them. She never treated them any differently than she would treat anybody else. It was how you come is how I receive you. And and that has been a lesson that I've taken with me in, in my mm. classrooms, but also when I work with schools. Now, you know the schools I work with now. <laughs> they have- yeah, I, I, yeah, I've, I've heard all the stories because you and I talk. <laughs> they have, well, you hear me on these conversations. Oh, and yeah. They have in some some schools I have to be a little tough with. I have to give them a little tough love and some really hard conversations. But they're not because I judge them. I don't judge you. What's the saying that Maya Angelou say when you know better, you do better? If you don't know, how will you know? If you don't know, how are you gonna do it? So yeah. like there's there's no judgment that I have. There's no judgment when I facilitate. There's no judgment when I'm working with educators that are battling their own internal racism, right? Like I'm not going to, how you come is how I will receive you, but you better believe we're going to work. Yeah. It's funny, that word judging, right? And I think you and I have talked about that word because I often kid around with you, right? Because one of your Myers-Briggs attributes is the J, right? So I like to mess around and call you the chief judger, right? Even though <laughs> you're not the chief judger, right? There is something around learning to like judgment versus discernment, which I think is at play here, mm-hmm. right? The work that we do, you and I touch DEI and anti-racism work, but from slightly different lenses. We overlap with coaching, we overlap with training, but you, we do it in very different ways, right? Um, and yet I think what makes us really powerful in the work that we do is that, because if you judge, people can tell, even if you think you're not telling them you're judging, folks can mm-hmm. tell. And there's a difference between that and placing your own values on people, what you think they should know, versus discernment that ability to say, hey, you know what? I'm gonna put the mirror in front of you. I see there are things you need to, um, that they're happening and I wanna see if you're seeing that. And if you do, where do you wanna go? And how do I get you there? Mm-hmm. And how do I help you get yourself there ultimately? Well, it's not about me or you getting them there per se. You know, it could feel that way. So I'm curious, like this idea of how do you balance, well, how do you, support people to do this work without judging them? Like, what does that look like? Because obviously no one's going to go through the way you lived your life and have grandma and other Miss Dixon, right? And other people have supported you. So you learned in real time that you need to not judge. You need to discern. You need to like meet people where they are. Or as you said really powerfully, how you come is how it will receive you. But how do you do that in practice? Because I think a lot of folks would be like, mm-hmm. oh, we're like, yo, shit, she needed Ron talk a good game. <laughs> they judge it all the time. Yeah. They no. lie. So I'm trying to think of as an example that I, I don't know. I don't want to give an example. I'm not trying to put nobody out there. But I think part of the the work in that, the work in not judging and having that discernment is walking in folks' shoes, right? Understanding where they are. And, and a lot of that too is 
both of us can, you can understand is we're both empaths, right? Oh, no, that like, what, didn't you so, cry the last thing that we watched? Oh, I was like, hey, you cried. Like, I, I, I tend to, oh, oh <laughs> to not cry or like over things like that. I have to be really in a space is, to cry. It can be but, emotional. I don't care. I mean, it's emotional. Sir, it's just, it's okay. I get it. I'm a Libra. I'm always in my head about things. And so in any case, that. I, I think that part of that, work is seeing people from like getting to know people and seeing them for who they are. It is very easy to cast your judgment on others, especially when they're doing something that can be harmful to kids or that you just wouldn't do yourself. But you have to understand people's journey and you have to understand how they got to this place that they're in. And once you get to that place where you're like, I know this person, I understand that their intent, right, versus impact. Although my grandma would say the road to hell was paved with good intentions. You still have <laughs> to get to know people, right? right. Like yeah. get to know them, get to get under the hood and see like what makes them tick, what is making them make these decisions like this? Like why if you know that something is not beneficial to kids in an instance, right? If I was thinking about a school that I work with, you know this isn't helpful. This could potentially be harmful. Why are you still doing it? And then I think it's trying to get into the mindset or not mindset, but trying to get into how they view things, right? What they see, maybe our kids are happy. They're connected to the, the, the work that they're doing. They have a good relationship with the teachers and staff. What we're doing is a good thing. And I realized that oftentimes a lot of schools do this is they they don't see the harm in that. They, they think that they're loving their kids by not allowing them to struggle through rigorous content, not allowing them to mm. be held to high standards. They don't realize that that's not love. Love is mm. giving them the struggle. Love is ensuring that they get access. And, and, and I think also it's not a, this is gonna sound very Libra of me, but it's a both end situation, right? You can truly love your kids and truly love your students and want what's best for them while effectively harming them in the same aspect. Multiple truths exist all the time. Two truths can always exist at the same time. Mm -hmm. There's no one instance where things are like isolated to like one train of thought. So I think like part of that is, is one, just getting to know people as people and people as humans, getting to get under the hood and understanding why they're making these decisions and thinking the way that they are. And then understanding that there are multiple truths that can exist. And and then I think the, I think the not struggle, but the work is figuring out how to move people based off of that. Like knowing what you know, like how do I now move them? How do mm-hmm. I get them out of this place to a place where they can see that practices or things are harmful? And get them to an understanding to actually be active participants and do something about it. That's the work. Mm. Well, I want to pivot this a little bit, Shanita. So, pivot. Um, I, I love pivots. This is pivot. you're like pivot, pivot, pivot. Okay, I'm not even going to name the reference. If you don't know, now you know. So, speaking of using that, now you know what you know. Now you know your love of hip hop. Talk to me about your love of hip hop, Shanita, because you and I talk about so much in our early dating, certainly through the course of our marriage. 
we share this deep, deep love of hip hop. And so the Rothering fam should know, I can't spit to save my life, <laughs> but I know a beat. You name that tune with hip hop, I'm all over it. Like I can hear a Pharrell, Dre. Like it's sort of really uncanny. And I have that across musical genres, right? But Shanita's brilliance is being able to decipher lyrics. She can spit lyrics. All I got to say is if you ever want to feel some kind of way and see Shanita's brilliance, have her do nods in front of you during karaoke. That's all I'm going to say. Because you'd be like, oh, word? Oh, oh. Oh my gosh, yes. The not- was that the first time we did karaoke together and I did nods? I don't know. It was at some point, but I was like, oh, oh, because I could barely do, barely do <laughs> um, Bust the Move by Young MC. And I can only do Bust the Move because it's pretty on beat the whole time. There's no changes or inflections. And so folks don't know this about not all hip hop, but a good deal of hip hop from like what I know, right, is that the beat changes sometimes mid lyric, which is you have to just keep up. And so if you're not able to keep the words with the beat, oh, it could be very disconcerting. Well, it also depends on what rapper you're listening to. Well, that's right? what I'm saying. Like, like cause there are some rappers that like Kendrick Lamar, where his, his lyrics and his voice becomes an instrument that is added into the beat. Okay? So like there's, there's I, I am a lover of hip hop. Yes. I love, love, love hip hop. You know what's interesting? My first tape that I bought myself with my allowance money, do not laugh, was, Uh-oh. I remember this specifically, it was Positive K. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. What? Okay. I got a man. What's your man got to do with me? I, I got, got a man. Because what's the man was, got to do with it was ah, this is and this is bootleg Baltimore tape too because on the other side, side B of the cassette was Kwame's um, only you. And so it, it wasn't even like a real, it was like something I got at Lexington market on my way home from school, but it was the that first is. one that I bought. And then the second, the second CD that was official that I bought from an actual record store was reasonable doubt. And, and for folks by Jay-Z, it was his first, first um, studio album. And I say first studio album because he put out stuff before that, but this was of his course. first studio album. And right. it changed my life. There are still quotes that I say from that CD that I probably will not say here, but like I'm always pulling quotes <laughs> from Jay-Z, who is my favorite rapper. Um, I think that that's not, that's not a surprise. We all know this. And the fact that you love Reasonable Doubt, and there was always that line, one of the very first lines I can remember in hip hop, that had the word Filipino, right? Because there's that, I won't name the song because it's got a word in it that I will not say here, but he goes half black and half Filipino. And so I would go to many a Philippine college party and they would play that joint and they would take that line and just stretch it out. And Filipino, 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 the crowd would go, oh, like, like, oh, oops, I got back in my clubbing days for a second. Uh Oh Oh my God. (laughs) Yes. Foxy Brown was on that one too. That's right. Shout out to to Fox. So I think, yeah, that, and I think I I grew, I fell in love with hip hop because it was, again, it wasn't, when you listen to like, there is, when I listen to the music that my grandparents listened to, like my, my grandfather loves James Brown. 
My Grandmother Loves Al Green. This is good music. Um, the Isley Brothers, great. And uh, while I'm listen- so in love with you. Oh, you, this yeah. is not um, Rondering's karaoke. Sorry, not sorry. The car- Rondering's karaoke edition. <laughs> and when I listen to music that my parents listened to, which was like Parliament Funkadelic, Prince, Maze, and Frankie Maze featuring Frankie Beverly. Also, really good music. I felt like there are hip hop is like an extension of that with people truly telling their stories. And I think that's the part of hip hop. I love listening and learning about people telling their stories. And also, not only people telling their stories, but stories that are reflective of my own neighborhood and my own upbringing and my own how I grew up, right? Like, mm. I grew up in the hood. We've all seen The Wire, right? Like, so I, I think, and granted, like my neighborhood wasn't as bad as as that. There could be moments where it was, but there are moments. The majority of my childhood wasn't that, and I, I loved growing up where I grew. I love growing up in the village. I love going back. I listen. It is what it is. I have thrived and I have grown from it, and it's a piece of who I am that I'm not ashamed of. That has helped me grow in ways that I don't think I would have been able to be in this place if I didn't have that. But yeah. to hear stories that are very similar to what I'm experiencing, that's crazy. Because like prior to listening to the music that my parents listened to, I mean, I didn't have any love stories to relate to. I was a teenager, right? Like I was, I was in middle school. I didn't have any love stories to relate to, or like these love ballads that they're singing. You know, like you sung "Let's Stay Together," right? I didn't. I don't. I don't know that context. I can groove to the beat. Mm-hmm. But that's not my music. I can't feel that. And so what I did feel was hip hop. What I did feel was the stories. What I did feel was us feeling like, you know what? Like, dang, I like not only the stories that are told, but the way that they are told, which was just fly. It was just Mm. dope. You know, like this listening to, I always say like, I can always pick out like my favorite intros to songs right like what is the thing that like grabs your attention about a hip-hop song and i think one of my favorites is not jay-z but one of my favorites is biggie's hypnotize but it's my favorite intro shane rap come on go ahead ahead, sicker than your average papa twist casualties and stink stone think shit stink think gators by detroit players tim's for my hooligans in brooklyn like that is like Go, you can't even, you're putting this on a record? What? Like, so it's just like that. It, it's the cleverness. It is the, the, the slickness. It is a double entendres. It is everything that I love about conversing. It is everything that I love about thinking, right? These people aren't just getting on the mic and saying a bunch of stuff. I mean, nowadays rap maybe, but like back then, back in the golden era, Back in the the nineties, two thousands, early two thousands, like that was like we got something to say and we're going to say it in a clever way. And you laugh, you cry, you you feel all the feels and connect. And so that's that's my love of hip hop. <laughs> well, for our personal podcast, you need know, we'll to have to make sure we have a whole thing about picking out favorite songs, favorite lyrics, and like deconstructing them, but also how they had resonance in our lives. So yeah, um, a couple. (laughs) (laughs) 
that that might be its own podcast in of itself. So drink chances to invite me on it. I think that's just what it is. <laughs> just just, I don't have any connections, but I got some stories. <laughs> just, when you when you make it, they will come, right? In the yeah, words right? of uh, Field of Dreams. So we are rounded out on time. So Shanita, what's your rondering? I, this is hard. I think I'm just going to go back to the, 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 the key thing that I said about like what sparked me about how my grandma took care of people, which is how you show up is how I receive you. And I think we should lead our lives in that way where we are leading with discernment, not judgment and allowing people to be with the understanding that there's a goal that you have set for them that you can get them to, like their greatness, right? So I guess like my Rondran in a sense is acceptance of all things and all people. Hmm. Certainly need that with everything going on in our world, both locally, state, nationally, globally. So Gina, I want to give you one last chance um, to share what you'd like to promote. What would you like to promote? Social media handles, things, whatever's, you know, websites, things you're doing. Well, definitely I'm going to promote the Rapitalo group. I think like that is clear. Um, The Rapitalo group does consulting work with schools and school districts. On my my end, I'm focusing on literacy structures and support systems, professional development, Anytime that you need a facilitator of those things, I am also available. If you need career coaching and or coaching to think about your next moves and how you present yourself to gain a job, the Rapitalo group is also has a great coach named Ronald Rapitalo. I, I, I need to go find that dude because like I need to get put on. Word. Yeah. And Ron Rapitalo is dope. And I'm sure if you've never heard of him, there's someone that knows him that knows him. There's always six degrees to Ron Rapitalo. I heard it's one degree, though. I, I heard that he changed the game. It's one degree of Ron Rapitalo. Is that true? Probably. Probably. There's How many public speaks, too? Is that? I, I, that's what I heard through the, through yeah, the grapevine. Public yeah, public speaker, knower of all things. Like, just, yeah. we need to create our... um like intros to how we say our name, like <laughs> Shanita Rapitalo, first in her name. Well, when we hire a videographer <laughs> to do our, our like kind of stuff for our site, my own speaker reel, which we will talk about, you know, we will make that all happen so people can experience our genius. Yeah, really. And I, you know what though? I couldn't have, couldn't have asked for a better partner and I couldn't have done this life with so I'm very proud of that. There's also the Leverage Publishing Group that I want to shout out as well. So authors who specifically are not sure how they want to publish their work, but they do know that they want to publish their work. And have it ghostwritten by us because we do that. Yep. Speak your book into existence with us. Speak it into Amen. existence. So mm-hmm. those are the two things that I am going to promote. And when you reach out, just know that Capacity is just filling. And so you want to be able to get in the number, <laughs> get in the number, but know that you will be cared for greatly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Shanita, it's a real treat having you on the podcast. Thank you to my life partner, my, um, the other half of our 
brilliant selves and um just there's a lot of fun i know you and i had talked about wanting to like riff and do our own podcast and to have you as a guest on this this is a lot of fun i knew it'd be fun we would just talk just just like every other podcast that i've done all i want to do is talk to folks that i have great relationships with and the conversations that we do are just getting recorded this time around that's because you and I, this is what we talk about. We on the sofa, we walking around, we're in the car, with the, you know, picking up the kids or whatever. This just happened to get recorded. So thank you for your brilliance. Thanks for being a partner. <laughs> <laughs> and Rondering's fam, universe, more to come. We come in, we come in, we come in. The words of Dion. Peace, y'all. No story about Shanita Rapitalo is complete or without its depth, without her talking about her grandmother. And so when she shared her rondering to go back to, to grandma and to share how grandma took in everyone at her longtime gay care center that ran out of her home for 30 years, it made sense why Shanita has been on the equity journey she's been at because Shanita, whether it's been as a class and a classroom teacher, yoga teacher, or as someone who does professional development and coaching and training for school leaders and, you know, central office and district leaders throughout the country, it totally makes sense that Shanita fell into receiving people as they come. What better way than to talk about equity than something that like hits the emotions. So Ron Derek's fam, we got more coming. Keep coming. Peace.